Hello. I was just over there. <laughs> I'm Eric Lane Barnes. I'm the director of music here at East Shore, and um, I would like to share a recollection of my father who died about a year ago. I've always liked a cup custard, I'd heard my father say numerous times over the years. It could be that liking custard is a genetic thing, for I, too, love a good custard. I can't say that I've ever had a bona fide cup custard, though. I've had creme brulee, pot de creme, custard pie, and any number of thick, sweet pastry fillings. But never have I seen cup custard on a menu, nor has anyone ever presented me with a round ramekin saying, have a cup custard. But the phrase brings up an immediate image, a cozy little bowl filled with a golden, creamy substance with a merry amount of nutmeggery on top. The mouth of my mind has tasted this image a myriad times, but never my waking tongue. This is one of many things that has been coming up to mind as I'm here in Elmhurst, Illinois, spending time with my father in home hospice care. When I walked gingerly into his room on Saturday, I saw my father sitting up in bed wearing striped pajamas hunched over in a coughing fit. He looked thin and fragile, his face whiskered with gray. I hadn't seen any beard on him since his 1970s mega sideburns experiment. When he saw me, his eyes brightened and he said, well, hello, Eric. That was what he always said every time I called. His voice was as thin as his collarbones, but it had all of the dadliness in it that I had come to love. I wasn't close with my father growing up. He was a hard worker, four kids, stay-at-home wife, and a mortgage by the time he was 34, and he was a basic no-nonsense kind of guy. I've seen a meme go around on Facebook that says, you can't hurt me. I used to hold the flashlight for my dad. That meme has my dad stamped all over it. He insisted that we all do our chores and do them properly. He and my mother always provided a unified front in the strict way, their choice of words, they raised us kids. We had plenty to eat, we wore nice enough clothes, we took many a family vacation and had excellent birthdays and Christmases, but we were not a cuddly family. Our terms of endearment were expressed in jokes. Laughter was the safest language for us to speak at home. Observations of absurdity and wordplay got the highest marks, Dirty jokes got the lowest. Although I did get a charge out of my dad's shocked laughter when I told him an utterly filthy joke I'd learned at college, and no, I won't share it here with you. But ask me afterward, and I might. Jokes that masked resentment and cloaked rage? Quite common in the Barnes household. But no hugs, no cuddles, no, how you doing, bud? None of that Mayberry talk. I didn't think families ever shared those kinds of moments outside of TV. I grew up acting and often believing that I didn't care if my father liked me or not. But deep down, I was a pretty normal boy, and I think every boy wants his father to approve of him, to be proud of him, to love him. A flash. My brother and I are in a little blow-up pool at the bottom of our yard. This was in the old house. We couldn't have been any older than four and five. This pool was the kind that you get at the five and dime and you have an adult blow it up who then brings the hose over and you hop from foot to foot, watching and waiting forever as it fills up. To us, this pool was huge, a summer luxury of splashing and sun. My brother and I had been playing and splattering in this pool when we heard a wild whoop from the back door. Startled, we looked up to see our father in his swimsuit running full tilt toward the pool. As he got closer and closer, it became apparent that he wasn't going to stop. 
My brother and I dove out of the pool onto the grass just in time for my father to jump and land in the middle of the pool. In my memory, I was four, all the water splashed out of the pool with him. Had my brother and I been cartoons, question marks and exclamation points would have danced out of our heads. Why did Daddy do that? Daddy jumped in our pool, and he didn't fit. And then my father, having achieved his goal, simply walked back into the house, leaving my brother in a fit, my brother and I in a fit of confused giggles. A flash. I came home from college one weekend with the sole purpose of coming out to my dad. I'd already told my mother on the phone, I know, honey, and both of my sisters. I was nervous about telling my dad. He was just so heterosexual. He was teaching Sunday school at the little Christian church my parents had been going to, and who knew what kinds of abominations the pastor was railing against at the pulpit. I took my dad out to dinner, although he paid, and kept putting the moment off. After the salad, I said to myself, and then after the entree, and then after dessert, and then after the bill, and then there were no afters to wait for, the coffee and the bill and the paying and the thanking having all been deployed, so I just told him in one plain sentence, Dad, I'm gay. He paused and said, well, I can't say I understand it, but you're my son and I love you and this doesn't change that. I suspect my mom had told him and he'd had time to research and rehearse the right thing to say because that was the right thing to say. Did we hug? Did we exclaim, I love you, dad slash son? No, we didn't. We got up and shook hands and parted for the night. A week later, back at college, I got a card in the mail from my dad. It was a basic, dumb, thinking-of-you kind of hallmark thing. He signed it, Love, Dad. And then at the bottom, P.S. Are you getting any? (laughs) I read that, and I said out loud, Dad, I just told you I was gay. But then it dawned on me. He knows, and he's saying it's okay. That sly old guy. A flash. My father buys a set of weights and a bench and announces that he is going to teach me to lift weights. I am 14, and I am skinny as a walking stick. Every other night after dinner, he comes to my room dressed in embarrassing shorts and bright white tube socks and he goes that go up to his knees, and he says, let's go have a workout. Confession, I hated it. I hated it with a passion, but apparently I had no choice in the matter. He taught me bench presses, deadlifts, curls, bent over rows. This went on for at least three years with him working out side-by-side with me, coaching me on my form, telling me I can go up and wait, demonstrating how to control range of movement. One night, he came to my room in his embarrassing shorts, and I finally said, I don't want to do this anymore. He dropped it and never brought it up again. Fast forward to my 20s. I join a gym. I start lifting weights. I find I remember how to bench press, how to do curls, how to do deadlifts and bent over rows. I discover that my 27-year-old body responds to weights readily. The muscles remember and I gradually change from a human walking stick to a human walking stick with a bit of muscle tone. A flash. I'm in the hospital after having undergone lung surgery. I'm 22. I'm in the recovery room feeling as if I've been run over by a lawnmower. I'm under a haze of drugs. My parents walk in. How you doing, Eric? My dad asks in an overly loud voice, patting my shoulder. I say, I love you, Dad. In my deep Demerol state, I think, It's okay that I said that because I'm on drugs. (laughs) My dad pats my shoulder again. Flash. At the start of a piano lesson with my college instructor, two days after my first composition recital, boy, your father sure is proud of you, she tells me. I'm stunned. 
He is? She looked at me in astonishment. He cornered me after your recital and would not stop talking about how proud of you he is. I laughed, bemused. He's never told me that. Well, believe it, Dr. Weckler said, and the lesson continued. My dad and I have had long conversations these past few days. We've looked over old pictures, many of which I'd never seen before. He identified uncles I'd never met and a woman he knew from his California days in the late 50s. She was a remarkable woman, he said, tapping the photo with a frail forefinger. She was a gay rights lawyer in the 1950s. Can you imagine that? We talked about songs. I reminded him of visiting joints with Jukebox and Milford to help identify the mystery song he'd heard on the radio. Do you remember that, I asked. He didn't. Do you know what the song was, I asked. He didn't. First time ever I saw your face, I reminded him. Oh, what a marvelous song. What a tremendous voice Roberta Flack had. Has, I corrected. She's one year younger than you. Do you remember working out in the basement, I asked. You hated it, Dad said. I did, I confessed, but you really taught me a lot about form. Those, workup, those workouts set me up when I started lifting weights in my 20s, so thank you. One day he asked me to trim his fingernails. He was too weak to do it himself. I clip his nails and I tell him that Jill and Holly, my sisters, and I are all successful and happy people, each with our own successful and happy families. You raised kids that grew into excellent adults, I said. I think that's the best legacy anyone can hope for. Dad agreed. We talked about death as well. I came back here to die, he said, and I haven't achieved that yet. All I could say was, I'm so sorry this has happened to you. I hate seeing you in pain. He laughed and he said, you should try feeling it yourself. It sucks. At the grocery store, I looked to see if there was anything like ready-made custard in little cups. I didn't see anything quite like that, but I did get four little pots of flan. I offered one to Dad. It's not quite cup custard, I said, but it's one of custard's cousins. He enjoyed it, clearly relishing three good spoonfuls. As I sat there with him, I thought, this moment is a tiny grain of love, and that's how moments will be measured now, set against the vast shore of eternity. My father died two days later. He passed peacefully in his sleep in the early morning. I will forever be grateful for that week we spent together. Simple, poignant, mundane moments, often difficult, but always underscored with love. One of the final gifts my dad gave to me was seeing how normal death is. My father was downright prosaic about it. I came home to die, he said many times after his diagnosis. That's my one last job to do. Death wasn't some huge, monstrous, terrifying presence standing with a sickle in a skeletal hand. Death was a task like cleaning the garage or doing taxes, a task we all have to accomplish. We may not like it, but we do it anyway. Simple as that. That was a great lesson that he taught me. Thank you, Dad. I love you. Thank you, Eric. That was beautiful. I shouldn't try to go after you. <laughs> we should just sing and go home. <laughs> but I want to talk to you about love and religion. And love is my religion. The word religion comes from the Latin re ligare, which means to bind together. 
to hold together again, like the kintsugi, like those threads throughout our lives, those moments, those nuggets that make us feel connected, seen, and held. To hold together again, this definition is evocative of a religion that is conducive to bringing people together, not to divide people. Like most religious traditions, Unitarian Universalism centers love in the shape of social justice. This is a religion that nourishes community, gives us strength for the journey, values relationships, cares for the suffering, practices love, strives to break down barriers, labels, and divisions, embracing and striving to welcome everyone. Unitarian Universalism offers us not dogma, but values, principles, and opportunities to practice those values. We are encouraged to show up, to practice good deeds. We are invited into a covenantal relationship to be bound together by choice again and again in the name of love. I believe that we're hungry for the kind of religious freedom that Unitarian Universalism offers our hurting world. An imperfect, messy, liberal religion that is an expression of our beautiful, imperfect human condition. A religion that offers a lens of compassion and love. That is our outward expression of our devotion. We may not wear distinctive symbols or garments. We may not use the same language to refer to the mystery, to the divine. But through our daily lived experiences, like the stories that Eric just shared, we find a connection through our humanity, through our suffering, through grief and hope. We are Unitarian Universalists, which means we are also Catholics and Buddhists and Muslims and Sikhs and humanists and atheists and agnostics and pagans and everything in between or none of the above or more or less none. Our common thread is love. This June, we Unitarian Universalists will have an opportunity to vote at our General Assembly to cast a vote to center love and in the process to explore who we are and who we are becoming again and again, to reaffirm a theology that centers love as that which binds us together, religion at its best, religion that is healing, religion that is a liberatory movement, always calling us back in, always motivating us to widen the circle to expand our understanding and practice of what it is to be a welcoming community. Centering love means our Unitarian Universalism affirms unconditional universal love as a foundation and grounding for our actions in the world. It means being of service to our communities and advocates of change internal change, individual, as well as collective transformation. 
Centering love means amplifying the voices of the oppressed, showing up in partnership, lobbying for immigration reform, racial justice, equality for LGBTQIA plus individuals and communities, queer people, religious freedom alongside reproductive rights and bodily autonomy, indigenous land and water rights, and so much more. So why center love? To make love real in the world and in our hearts and in our everyday lives. I believe that what brings us together is our quest for meaning and the need for one another to be in community, to build that proverbial welcoming table where we can bring our whole selves to find, to share, to practice love because we need one another when we are in pain, when we are facing the death of a loved one, when illness weakens our bodies, when our families are torn apart, when we feel lost, unhappy, lonely, and without a purpose, when we need support for our sobriety, when we cannot face evil by ourselves and need one another to restore our faith and our hope, we come together to lift each other up. This is where we find the light of the world, when we become the light of the world, bound together in love. Our theology opens ourselves up to the mysteries of the universe, to the beauty of each other's richly diverse spiritual journeys to embodied worship and offers us a religion in which covenantal relationship means we see the divine in ourselves. We may not always be successful in building the welcoming table. We are human after all, but we keep practicing radical hospitality and unconditional love. We keep re asserting that covenant, that religare, that religion at its best, bound together again and again. The kintsugi, we repair, not hiding our mistakes, but highlighting the mistakes so that we may learn, so that we may heal. Reverend Sherry Prudhomme writes, through the years, Unitarian Universalists have brought in, and in some cases released notions of God or the divine in religious life. We have troubled the imperialism toward which universalism leans. We have embraced ever-widening understandings of who is included in the divine likeness. We have deepened our critiques of images of God that condone patriarchy, white supremacy, ableism, and violence. But we have held fast to love. We affirm the power of love to heal what is broken, to hold us together across pluralities of diverse religious practices and beliefs, to hold us when things fall apart, to grow our capacities, and to guide us as we return again and again in our families and communities to the side of love. 
with love stitched in from the beginning and sewn throughout the piecing and the mending across the decades, even a worn and ragged quilt provides strength, inspiration, courage, and solace through the long night. End quote. Beloveds, may you feel the warmth and strength of this loving community. May you know in your heart that your colors, your textures, and your stories are sacred and held in loving kindness. And may we continue to stitch together this beautifully imperfect quilt of our journey together in the name of love. Amen. And blessed be.